1: That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash stuff.
0: In Puerto Rico, there's adventure around every corner and natural treasures waiting to be explored. Like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the U.S. Get swept away by natural beauty and come away with unique stories that could only be experienced in Puerto Rico and that remind you why you travel in the first place. Visits end, but stories last forever. You don't become a part of the island, it becomes a part of you. No passports required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com.
2: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio.
0: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and Jerry's here, too, sitting in in this bowl session. Uh, that we like to call stuff you should know. Just shooting the bull, shooting the breeze. <laughs> That's right. Chewing the fat. Slinging some facts. Mm-hmm. Uh, slinging some facts about something that is just downright astounding, if you ask me, Chuck.
3: Yeah. When have we talked about this? Oh, buddy,
0: we talked about it in I think the Doppelganger episode.
3: I feel like also in uh, the Days of Yore, we, we yeah, hit, maybe. hit it at some point briefly. Sure. Probably, um, can you <clears throat> transplant a head? Oh, geez. Let's
0: <laughs> I'm dig- kidding. This is digging deep. <laughs> I don't know if it was in that one or not. could have been. But, yeah, we've definitely talked about it. Uh, we should say pros- prosopagnosia, which is face blindness, more commonly known, which, which is a neurological condition to just kind of dryly define it right out of the gate. <laughs>
3: uh, yeah, and what we're not talking about, although – as you'll see, it is a condition that does exist on a spectrum. but I think they're but they're saying basically though, it's not just like oh, I'm not real real good at remembering people's faces right while that can also mean you might have a very low on the spectrum version of uh, prosopagnosia. it's mm-hmm. it's not generally what most people, when they say like "I'm not good with faces, probably don't have it. That's a very clunky way of saying that it's pretty rare um. And, like, it doesn't necessarily just have to do with how good you are at remembering people when you meet them. That just means you're an a-hole. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. Which is sad because a lot of people with um, prosopagnosia get
3: kind of thought of as that. I because know. people
0: don't really understand what their condition is. Brad Pitt? But yeah, it's not. Yeah, supposedly he's self-diagnosed, I guess.
3: Yeah, he uh, has not been fully diagnosed. But he does, just from reading, like, recent interviews with him, it seems like it's probably the deal with him. And not just right. like, hey, I'm busy. But he's, you know, as you'll see, it's a real struggle. It's not just like, oh, I'm not very good with faces. It's, you know, you may not recognize your family members. If it's severe enough, you may yeah. not recognize your own face.
0: Yeah. And more, more, you know, like kind of in a day-to-day thing, I saw it described by, I believe it was um, Sadie uh, Dingfelder, who is a Washington Post writer um, and also has severe face blindness. Ah, okay. She said, I believe it was her, said basically like you can spend like all day at, in a meeting, like a, a boardroom with mm-hmm. somebody, like working closely with them the whole time. And then at the end of the day, if you both happen to bump into each other in the, the lobby after, you know, leaving one another side five minutes before, mm-hmm. she would not she would not recognize that person.
3: Yeah. I mean – I will say that I have, uh, I, it's not a superpower, but I've always been really, really, really good at remembering faces. There's something called super recognizers. I think I might be on that. If that exists on a spectrum, I think I'm on it because I've had some freakishly weird occurrences of remembering faces of people I didn't know at all from years before. Like Even as a kid, I remember like seeing a guy at Six Flags one time and then no. seeing him, like, a couple of years later, and I think maybe I met him and then somehow got confirmation, it wasn't just me thinking, you know, like, uh, it wasn't a mistake. Like, I've always been really good at recognizing faces, is what I'm saying. Just,
0: you were uh, you were like, is it him? And then all of a sudden he puts on a <laughs> jean jacket with the I heart six flags patch on the back, and uh-huh. you're
3: like, it is. <laughs> What's it? it may have been something like that. Because the clothes, yeah, as you'll see, the clothes and things can be a way to help you remember
0: people. For- for sure. So, like you said, the whole thing um, kind of exists in degrees. And a lot of people think that, you know, if you have face blindness, blindness, um, which is weird that I have trouble saying face blindness, too, because the clinical name is is really difficult to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if you have face blindness, the if somebody knows that it exists and they have kind of a general conception of it, they might think that, like, you don't see faces. Like, it's that really creepy Twilight Zone thing where the sister was missing her mouth, you know? Or
3: everyone looks like Robert the doll.
0: (laughs) Yeah, kind of like that. Like, but without even eyes or a nose. Like, just a blur or something like that. And apparently, there is such a degree of it that if you saw, like, a picture of a face, uh, maybe out of context, like, you didn't see it attached to somebody's body or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, you would think maybe it was a rock or just some other roundish object Um, that there is like that degree. Apparently, that's pretty rare. What's more likely is that you're seeing all the different parts of the face. Mm -hmm. Your brain's just not putting it together in a cohesive whole like everybody else's brain does. Right. That's that's one big part of it for sure.
3: Yeah, and I think what we're going to do, the order we settled on, is we're going to kind of talk a lot about it, and then maybe toward the end we're going to talk about the causes and— uh, whether or not it can be fixed and stuff like that. So uh, if that's a cliffhanger, then there you go. Right? Does that count? Uh,
0: it is. Okay. It does. There's one other thing we need to point out. There's absolutely nothing wrong with people with um, prosopagnosia's like sight. They can see perfectly fine. Right. It's that the sensory information that's coming in is not being processed correctly.
3: Right. That's just called farsightedness.
0: Yeah, or myopia. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Magoo. Should we talk about, no, you know what's the deal with Magoo? He couldn't see very well.
3: They always joked about this on the podcast, Freedom, of whether or not Magoo had glasses. Uh, I, Man, now that you think about it, I'm not sure if he had glasses what, or not. Whatever the answer is, I can't remember. The opposite is kind of what people commonly think. I think he doesn't have glasses. Yeah. So people, when they see people with really thick glasses, would say like, oh, a real Magoo. When, in fact, people with no glasses heard the (laughs) magoos. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does. It's kind of like misusing
3: low man on the totem pole or drink the Kool-Aid. Exactly. You know? Uh, All right. So, should we talk about uh, agnosias in general?
0: Yeah, because prosopagnosia is a specific kind of a mental disorder that belongs to, like, a general class of disorders, neurological disorders, called agnosias. And they are... About as fascinating as it can get. They also reveal a tremendous amount of how our brain works, too.
3: Yeah, and it's uh, Greek, if you were wondering, uh, basically means uh, absence of knowledge. But medically speaking, it means you have some sort of recognition impairment. Mm-hmm. And it it is, you know, and we'll go through these. They're very specific. Um, Ed helped us put this together. Uh, and the reason it's so specific, I think, is because it has to be. Because there are some minute differences in some of these that, that make a difference, you know? Yeah, for sure, make a big difference. Uh, all right, so I guess we'll start with the three main categories. Uh, color blindness, which we've talked about before, is a version of an agnosia. Uh, word blindness, which I guess you have with reading the words face blindness. Uh-huh. And what we're talking about today, prosopagnosia. But those aren't the the three categories. Those are three types of visual. The three main categories are visual, auditory, and touch, right?
0: Right, right. Okay. And visual seems to have the most associated with it. Um, in addition to all those other ones you just mentioned, there's one called apperceptive, which is where you can't differentiate objects, just like a person can't differentiate a face with prosopagnosia. Like a person with uh, apperceptive visual ag- agnosia, like you can say, say, hey, look at that car. And uh, look at that toaster over there. Aren't they really nice to look at? And they'd be like, I don't really see any difference between those two things that you're pointing out.
3: Now, and I have questions about this you may not know the answer to. About
0: why a toaster is out on a street (laughs) with a car? (laughs) That's it.
3: No, it's – and to be fair, toaster and car were probably not great examples to use because you take into consideration, as you'll see, if you have any of these disorders, you know, the fact that it's on the street in a driveway or – on a counter in a kitchen. Sure. But what I want to know is, is do they do they even note, like, the size of something? I, I don't know.
0: Some of these are so exotic that there's, like, just a handful of cases in the entire history of medicine. Um, I think apperceptive is a little more common, but I don't know exactly how they see it.
3: Because, like, a pair of glasses on a coffee table or a remote control, like, I, that kind of thing makes a little more sense. Car and toaster right. blows yeah. blows my mind.
0: Okay. So I'm just going to go ahead and confess. Car and toaster was my example. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm just trying to get the point across. Okay. I just wonder if it if it is that severe. I, I'm i sure it can be, especially if all of this exists on a spectrum. If there's people out there who can look at a picture of a face and think it's a rock, right. I'm sure there's somebody out there who has apperceptive okay. visual agnosia that says that toaster in that car, same
3: thing to <laughs> okay. me, buddy. All right. All right, fair enough. I'm putting money on it. No, and, you know, what we're hoping to uh, do is hear from some people because this is really fascinating. Like you said, there's not a a ton of, uh, as we'll see, a lot of people don't come forward because they learn to deal with it.
0: You're right, totally.
3: Um, So associative is another visual one. Uh, That's an inability to identify objects, uh, whereas you can, like, You can see the coffee cup. You can reach out and grab it, but you can't identify its use. Like, I'm holding this thing, but I don't know what the heck you do with it. Right, exactly. And then there's another one that sounds, Man, I think this deserves its own short stuff,
0: akinetopsia. And it's where you can't perceive motion. Yeah. So I saw it described as, like, if a car's coming at you, it just— is like a series of, like, it, it suddenly jumps closer and closer and closer. You don't see it moving. It's like a series of still images. Wow. All of life is like that. Like how if you see somebody, like, moving
3: towards you under a strobe light, uh-huh. that's what it's like, but no need for the strobe light. So it's like a, a murder scene in a club in a movie. Exactly. That's exactly what life is like for people with a kinetopsia. Wow Wow. Uh, you have your auditory ones. Auditory verbal is when you can't recognize... Uh, a word that you hear. Mm -hmm. Uh, They also call it word deafness for obvious reasons. And then uh, also under auditory is, uh, oh, I had all these earlier. (laughs) Uh, How Do you you pronounce that G there? I think it's phonagnosia. Phonagnosia. Okay, that makes sense. I think. Uh, That is not being able to recognize a familiar voice and identify that voice. Right. Understand everything they're saying, but I would be on this recording right now as in often the case, wondering, who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. It's kind of like the auditory version of prosopagnosia, Right. With voices instead of faces. There's another one that's um, called tactile agnosia, and it's where you can't recognize an object by touch. And I really thought about this, and the best I could come up with is that this would be problematic at one of those Halloween parties uh-huh. where they pass around a bowl of spaghetti and tell yeah. you it's guts. It'd just be lost on you. But that's about the worst that that could come of it, from what I can tell.
3: Okay, because you can still use the thing and recognize what it's used for, uh, isn't that right? I think so. It's just when
0: you touch it, you don't know what it is. So I'm sure, like going to turn off the oven would be really problematic or right. something like that. But um, yeah, it's it's that's it. Just seems like such a limited thing. But I'm sure there's much more problems with it than I, I can come up with.
3: Uh, if you want to get even rarer, uh, here are some more versions of agnosias auto. Uh, autotopagnosia, which is when you can't recognize uh, and identify specific body parts of mm-hmm. your of your own body. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh,
0: there's also my favorite agnosia. Simultangagnosia. <laughs>
3: yeah, I think that's it. You got it.
0: Okay, so that one is where you can see all sorts of different stuff. All all the objects you can identify, all the objects in your field of view or in a picture or something. But what they're doing together that forms a cohesive whole, a scene. It's just totally lost on you. You would see a kid in their pajamas opening a present. There would be a tree that's decorated. Uh-huh. Um, there would be like a, a, a couple of parents like watching the kid um, or standing off to the side. You would not put together that this is a scene of like a, a, a Christmas morning. Like you just you just can't put scenes together. And I saw it compared to not being able to see the forest from the trees.
3: Uh, okay. That makes sense.
0: Yeah, it does. That's my favorite one right there.
3: Yeah, all these are so tough, and it's not um, – I think it's something that's easy for people to laugh at. Like if mm-hmm. someone said, like, why is there a tree in that living room? But right. it's it's not funny, you know, and especially when it comes to to the main uh, topic of face blindness. It, it's, it can be a very debilitating thing. It can be, for
0: sure. But uh, astoundingly, humans who have these conditions are really good at figuring out ways to kind of make it through life. They right. just – Kind of workarounds essentially. Um, and we'll we'll talk more about that, I say, after a break. How about that? Let's do it.
1: Wanna learn about a terror
3: and call it pterodactyl? How to take a perfect boob all about fractals can
1: get gone.
3: A the hun. The Lizzie Border Murders and the cannibal runs. Don't explain everything to your brain. Explodes chuck. And yeah, this stuff you should know. You should know. Word up, Jerry.
0: All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Okay, Chuck, now I don't feel at all comfortable making any jokes about this stuff. <laughs> you really threw the gauntlet down. Why is there a tree in your living room, Josh?
3: <laughs> That's not funny. Covered with lights. It's Halloween. It's not funny. Uh, it is not funny. <laughs> it's a little funny, isn't it? I think that one specifically, to not recognize okay. a scene, all Right. I think you can get a yuck or two out of that. Okay. Okay, let's move on.
0: Okay. <laughs> so, I was saying before the break that people um, with agnosias, and, and um, in particular prosopagnosia, learn to just kind of navigate through life without the advantages that the rest of us just totally take for granted. Mm-hmm. And I say, I say the best way to understand prosopagnosia, I just sounded like Foghorn Leghorn for a second. <laughs> I'll say the best way. <laughs> uh, is to understand how just people normally perceive faces
3: right? Yeah, so this is something that, um, you know, when you're a grown-up or whatever, you you just sort of, again, you take it for granted that this is something that you've always been able to do, but it's actually right. a, a learned process. You develop this over the course of your life, I think they say, you know, and it kind of makes sense, like sort of in your pre-pubescent years, around 12, you're really spongy at that age. It's soaking up faces and getting better, and it just gets better in time. Uh, I think we peak in our 30s, Mm -hmm. And, and this also makes a lot of sense. If you grow up in a city, you're better if you're exposed to, you know, a lot of faces than someone who might grow up in a small town seeing the same people over and over.
0: Yeah. And so, the whole thing of recognizing a face we figured out, and by we, I mean you and me, Chuck, mm-hmm. is that it's a two-step process. And one is that that visual information comes in and it gets processed into a whole. Mm-hmm. So, like, we see faces as holes generally. Most most people do. And a person's face, when we're taking it in, it's not necessarily a whole. We're putting all of these pieces together. Automatically, instantly. And it's called holistic processing. So you got a face now in your head. And then you run it against the database essentially um, to find out if it's familiar or not. And mm-hmm. all this is taking like microseconds to do. Yeah. Um, and then with if it comes up like, yes, this is familiar, then you have what's called a, a recollection memory, I believe, if I recall correctly. And um, that is this biographical information that we attach to each person, they've figured out that it seems like that is attached to the face. And that that's when you recognize somebody, if you stop and think about it, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm i am just inundated with this flood of information about mm-hmm. that person that I know. It's, they, they are figuring out it's triggered by the face. So, there's, they're finding out that prosopagnosia patients not only can't recognize faces, they can't retain the biographical information that other people can because it seems to be filed away by a person's face.
3: Yeah. And like you said, you pull up that file and in your mind, what's happening so, so fast is, you know, uh, crooked nose, cheek scar. I went to high school with that guy. It's Ralph.
0: I saw that guy at Six Flags once.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It'd be funny if he actually went to my high school and that's where I knew him. (laughs)
0: <laughs> but Ralph, so let's say let's take the example of Ralph. You know that Ralph likes long walks on the beach. That mm-hmm. Ralph doesn't like cockroaches; he's scared of them. You know that Ralph has a really cool car that you like to ride in sometimes. Like mm-hmm. you just yeah. know this stuff. Like you just know it, I think and I it's, like just, Ralph. it's part of <laughs> it's part of recognition. And again, that's triggered by a face. So people who have prosopagnosia have to kind of make it through the world without that. And so for you and me and people who can easily recognize faces, it's it's really hard to imagine
3: not being able to do that. But it yeah.
0: came up with a really good thought experiment, I think.
3: Is, is this the apples? Are we there?
0: I think so, sure.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is kind of like uh, in Memento. You know, the, the dude in Memento came up with a system. Mm-hmm. And it's all about developing a system that works. So when you see Ralph you think you've learned. Crooked nose, cheek scar on the left face. I know that's my friend. Right. But there's still not that recognition, which I can't imagine how frustrating that must be. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in this case, if you're talking about, like, apples, you show someone an apple, and then you put that apple on a coffee table with, like, 40 apple buddies, and then you say, pick up that apple. And it's, you know, you'd be lost. It'd be very frustrating. But if you were told to do this several times... Or, you know, given years or whatever, you would eventually develop a system to memorizing how to recognize that apple, which could be the most minute little features of the apple from the the length of the stem to to the dent in the top corner that you don't want to eat.
0: Yeah, and if your entire social life and in some cases your own survival was predicated mm-hmm. on being able to recognize individual apples, you would figure out a way to do that. And so if you just replace f- identifying individual apples with identifying faces, mm-hmm. that's what people with prosopagnosia have to learn how to do. And they do it, like you said, and it turns out that if you um, kind of study how prosopagnosiacs, a real word um, from, I've seen it, a ton of places including people who know what they're talking about yeah um that you'll find that there are a bunch of little cues and mannerisms and things that that we have that we're not aware of that really make us individuals beyond just what our faces look like
3: yeah because uh, we're literally just talking the face so if your friend has a purple mohawk then use that like, like that's a You want all your friends to have weird hair, you know? You grab onto that with all (laughs) your might. (laughs) That's right. Don't let go of of that mohawk. Uh, You you know, you can still see the eyes and recognize, like, eye color. Or Mm -hmm. like I said, you know, if your friend has, like, you know, broke their nose or they have a scar on their face or things like that. Or Mm -hmm. how big their ears are or how they walk. Or what they, their mannerisms, mannerisms are huge or obviously things like tattoos or if they, uh, if they have stinky armpits or like. there's pick their nose. (laughs) Sure, there's a lot of ways. You got to get that one right or that could be very embarrassing. But (laughs) uh, there are a lot of things that we don't need to use, but are still in our own memory banks if you don't have prosopagnosia. But just filter out the face and those are what everyone else with prosopagnosia is using.
0: Right. There's also a lot of reliance on uh, friends and family to be like, oh, here comes Ralph. Remember you like his car? Right. Um, and, and you'd be like, Ralph, good to see you, friend. Uh, Can I ride in your car? And Ralph would say, sure, I appreciate (laughs) you recognizing me. Of course you can ride in my car. The problem is you're not always around your friends and family. Mm -hmm. Some people are single and don't live in the same town as their family. Some people's family don't like them. There's all sorts of reasons that you might not be able to rely on prompts all the time. And there's also problems with the strategy of using all sorts of little details to um, identify people, too, because people change their hair color. Yeah, Ralph gets a new look and you're in big trouble. Exactly. Once you enter that business world, that purple mohawk's probably gone, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, people change their hair color. Mm-hmm. People change their clothes. It can be really difficult to keep up with that stuff. And so there's other potentially better ways of identifying people. And it seems to have to do with basically m- teaching yourself to memorize mm-hmm. the people who are important in your life like you would choose a select group of people and be like these are the people i really need to recognize and you would get to studying them like photographs of them at length
3: yeah and which you know that's can also be a little tricky because let's say you have a friend with prisopagnosia and you know that this is their strategy and they still don't remember you mm-hmm. and you're like oh okay I, I didn't make that list of extra study. That's fine, <laughs> right? Yeah, awkward. Uh, but no, that is that is one thing they say, and I think I get the a picture that this is sort of a um, sort of a beginning coping method, which is like get to know the people around you, mm-hmm. and get used to like doing that, and then I feel like the the circle probably broadens from there once you're like kind of have your techniques down.
0: Yeah, I would guess so for sure. Um, another one that uh, I thought was pretty interesting, like a coping skill for people with face blindness, is um, using conversation skills. Mm. Um, using general small talk, um, you can uh, kind of create like certain situations with conversation to see how a person reacts. Like, if you're like, yeah. uh, you know, um, who'd you vote yeah. for? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Um, So, like, you you can use conversation to figure out who you're talking to. Um, And I also saw that a lot of people with prosopagnosia walk around half pretending like they know everybody. So Ah. that if if they come upon somebody who actually knows them, they can already be primed to be like, yeah, how's it going kind of thing. It's like overly
3: friendly almost. Yes, Uh
0: exactly. That they're all smiles all the time. And um, they're doing that as like a coping mechanism to basically trick people into thinking that they recognize them. And then also, they found, um, at least Sadie Dingfelder has found, that if you get people to talk about themselves, if you ask questions, first of all, they're going to love talking to you because people love talking about themselves. Mm -hmm. But then secondly, um, they're going to give up enough biographical information pretty quickly that you're going to know who you're talking to.
3: This is fascinating stuff. Isn't it? Yeah, Yeah. it's almost like being a really skilled detective Mm -hmm. slash detective interviewer.
0: Well, Sadie Dingfelder attributes her success as a reporter for The Washington Post as being able, being comfortable oh, uh-huh. talking to strangers because she said, everyone's a stranger in my life. Wow. Um, and then also, like, it really helped her hone her conversation and interviewing skills, too.
3: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's, it's a, I feel like sometimes there are these disorders that end up giving you certain superpowers at the same time. For sure.
0: That's a great way to put it Chuck
3: uh, if you are someone with prosopagnosia and you are watching a TV show or a movie mm-hmm. that can be problematic from uh, episode to episode because you may literally not know who this person is on the screen and that could make it very hard and I know it's you know it's like oh you're only watching a movie but like that'd be really frustrating if, if yeah. consuming entertainment was there was an added layer of difficulty to that you know
0: it's an impossibility from what I can tell there's this guy named Tim Rimel who wrote a little article about um, what it's like to live with it and he was saying like you just you just can't you just stop watching um, after like 10 minutes because you just lose patience it'd be kind of like um, watching a double feature of Happiness and Life During Wartime
3: (laughs) wait which one was Life During Wartime
0: that was the sequel to Happiness where he kept the same characters but replaced them with all new actors I don't think I saw that one it's really weird to yeah. watch. It's really discomforting. Uh-huh. I mean, it's already just horrible, like, inhumane material to begin with, Todd Solon's stuff. Yeah. But um, just, it's just really unsettling to see new people playing right. the same characters and trying to keep up with who they are. So, actually, that'd be a really good exercise in what it's like to be um, a prosopagnosiac. Um I don't know if I would recommend everybody watching (laughs) Happiness in Life during wartime. (laughs) Maybe read a little bit about uh it first before you watch it. And then if you go ahead and watch it, don't blame me. But if you're good with those movies, that would be a pretty good way to be like, this is what it's like to have prosopagnosia.
3: Yeah, I would imagine for entertainment consumption, music and reading become uh, even more important, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, you can imagine how isolating that can be too. uh, And not just like oh, I can't sit in and talk about TV shows with other people. But it's an isolating condition, to be sure. Like, the people that have overcome it to the point where they're uh, extroverted and overly friendly, like, hats off to them, you know?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, because a lot of people go the opposite route. They become very introverted. Yeah. And... um, Don't like to go out because they're so – they become so socially anxious about the shame and embarrassment of not recognizing somebody and how awkward it can be, especially if that person has no idea what their condition is, that they just stop going out. It's just easier to stay home. And so it can be a really isolating condition. And then also all the stuff we've been talking about, all those coping skills, that is really mentally exhausting. Yeah. Like it's so – just na- natural to us to just recognize somebody by the face. That to to have to study somebody and remember it and memorize pictures of your friends and loved ones. That is a lot of work. So it can be isolating. It can be exhausting. And then, I guess, sadly, um, at least for now, those coping skills are also basically the extent of yeah. treatment for prosopagnosia as it, as it currently stands.
3: That's kind of it. It's it's learn uh, all these strategies to deal with it. To whatever extent you're comfortable, and and that's about all you can do. It's it's basically, mm. uh, well, we'll talk a little bit about the permanency of the condition, but it's it's mm-hmm. almost always permanent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, let, let's hold off on that though, because there there are a couple of different ways you can get it that we'll get to. Okay, uh, but there have been it feels like the last few decades. There's been a lot more research than there ever was before. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are, of course, you know, previous to you know, the last couple of decades, you may not even, like your doctor probably, and this might still be the case in some cases, your doctor may not even know, like, what the heck is going on. Right. It's that rare. So nowadays there are support groups and there are therapists and uh, people might generally, and that's, you know, another reason we're doing this is it's sort of always like to help get the word out on these rare things. Mm-hmm. But uh, previous to a couple of decades ago, I can't imagine what it would have been like living in the world. It's probably just a secret that you keep.
0: Yeah, um, and it was chalked up. Uh, Oliver Sacks actually had it, the famed neurologist yeah. who, Awakenings, was based on his work. And he wrote awesome books like The Man Who Must Stick His Wife for a Hat. There you go. Um, and An Anthropologist on Mars, I think, was one of his, too. Um, he had it, like, severely. And he just chalked it up to being kind of flighty, uh-huh. kind of absent-minded, um, to being aloof, and a lot of people just kind of chalk it up to that and just go through life because they don't they, they weren't aware of it. And he was a neurologist, and he wasn't right. even aware of
3: it. Yeah, good and point. And he
0: had it. Apparently, Jane Goodall, the primatologist, mm-hmm. um, had it. And uh, Chuck Close, the Where's awesome that? portraitist. Uh, look up his work. He, you've, I'm sure you've seen it before. He frequently makes giant... Canvases of faces, close up of faces, but they're made of little squares of color, and he's really good. But it just kind of alters what the person looks like. Uh And then once you figure out that he has prosopagnosia, you're like, okay, that's really interesting that he dedicated his his
3: career to faces. You know? Yeah, and and I'm telling you that Brad Pitt People magazine article I read. (laughs) uh, He says that you know it's kind of been a thorn in his side where people think he's a jerk or whatever. And he said for a while he was trying to use a strategy of, like, you know, because, of course, you meet way more people when you're Brad Pitt than the average person. Sure. Uh, just constantly meeting new people because of your job. But uh, he said he used a strategy for a while, of like, you know, hey, remind me, like, in a really friendly way, like, hey, remind me where we met. And he said sometimes that was even worse. Like, people get more offended oh. if you asked out loud, which is, like, that's the really the right way to handle that when you don't recognize someone in yeah. life. You know, it can be very awkward, but the right way to handle it is say, I'm so sorry, like, I know we've met, but but who were you again? Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, it's a tough thing to say. Imagine saying that over and over and over in your
0: life. Right. And one of those people who got deeply offended was Shania Twain, I'm guessing. <laughs> I never thought I'd say this, but poor Brad Pitt. <laughs> right. I think another part of it, too, that actually makes it a little more difficult on him than the average person is because he's such a celebrity, he's put up on a pedestal. And so people, him not recognizing people makes him, he's already primed to be viewed as arrogant or can, you right, know thinks exactly. he's above everybody else. Yeah. So yeah. then if you combine his condition with that, it, I would guess it's harder on him than most people.
3: Yeah. And I'll, I will tell you this, is that when someone is famous and they do recognize... Uh, you know the the craft service person or the guy who parks their car, Mm -hmm. like people make a really big deal out of that. Like he's such a good dude. He I parked this guy's car like three times a year, and he remembered me every time. That ends up to be like a legend
0: passed around on Reddit, right? Kind of thing, (laughs) exactly. So you want to take our second break and come back and talk about diagnosing prosopagnosia and then what's going on in the
3: brain? Yes, please. Wanna learn about a pterosaur and call it pterodactyl? pterodactyl. How to take a perfect boop with all about
2: fractals?
1: Genghis Khan, Attila the Hun, the, the Lizzie Borden murders, and the cannibal, cannibal runs. Don't explain so everything you to your brain. Explodes, explodes. Chuck and Josh. This you should know. know.
3: Word up, Jerry! All
0: right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards.
3: So if you go back in the Wayback Machine and look at the earliest cases of this, you'll see mm-hmm. that some of the first cases that they found were diagnosed because of a, uh, like a brain injury. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the two ways that you can get this is, and we'll talk about the parts of the brain in a sec, but is either by some sort of injury or maybe a tumor pressing on this part of the brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what they found is that is far and away the, the more rare kind. Right. And that it's usually something that you're born with. Yeah, con- the congenital
0: kind. But the acquired kind is so dramatic, when you suddenly lose the ability to recognize faces, those were the first cases that were described. And the guy who um, coined the term prosopagnosia is um, Joachim Bottomer, Uh, and he studied uh, World War II veterans who'd been shot in the head and couldn't recognize people any longer. And I had a certain idea and conception of what the World War II veterans uh, Bottomer was studying were like until I found out that he was a German neurologist. (laughs) <laughs> and that he was studying them in like 1944. Oh. So apparently the earliest ones were Nazis who um, were the ones who uh, kind of turned the world onto the idea of prosopagnosia. Wow.
3: Oh. That's very interesting.
0: Isn't that that jarring? It's kind of like there was this episode of The Office where Dwight's talking about how his grandfather fought in World War II and Uh was captured in hell as a POW. And then he says something at the end that reveals that his grandfather (laughs) was was German. (laughs) He was a Nazi. (laughs) And it's just such like a a Uh jarring turn because you're just thinking about this greatest generation, you know, person over there. Yeah, yeah. You know, just kicking Germany around in Europe. And all of a sudden, it's now
3: is <laughs> a Nazi. Well, that's a pretty funny character thing because only Dwight Schrute would brag about, right? You know, or hold up their Nazi grandfather as a as a wounded veteran. That's funny.
0: It was it was good character development for sure.
3: So, as far as how rare it is, we've talked a little bit about it and said, you know, it's really rare. I've seen some stuff that that it's not as rare as you might think. Um, I think Psychology Today said two percent of the population are somewhere on that spectrum. Yeah, about one in 50. And
0: that's not just them. That's pretty widespread, that Yeah, um, I mean, that's, that not, estimate.
3: that's not that rare, but I get the feeling that it's the, the spectrum side of things where it gets more and more rare to the people that right. see faces rock. But if you put 50
0: people in a room, one of those people is going to be thinking, who are all these people? Yeah. So, um, yeah, and I think it does have to do with the spectrum thing, like you're saying, too. You know, like there's... A lot of people out there who are just not very good at it, but there's just some sort of breakdown, but it's not a full Mm -hmm. breakdown in one of the processes. Um, The problem is... Because it is generally rare, and because it is pretty recent that people have just started to understand it, I keep seeing that Oliver Sacks wrote an article, um, which I read is in the New Yorker in 2010. I just read it like last night or whatever, but um, not to say like oh I read it way back. <laughs> yeah. But I keep seeing that cited as like basically the beginning of spreading awareness mm-hmm. of. Blindness. It was that recent. So, there's plenty of doctors who've had people come to them with prosopagnosia and other agnosias and just had no idea what they were looking at and then probably misdiagnosed them. So, they probably misdiagnosed the kid as having a learning disability um, because they weren't picking up on words that they were reading, but they could, you know, hear them just fine. Um, or that they had some sort of… Um, problem with their sight, with uh-huh. prosopagnosia. And so the the people were left to kind of, like we talked about, figure out workarounds to kind of make it through life before people understood that there was such a thing as prosopagnosia.
3: Well, they didn't even come up with a really great test for it mm-hmm. until 2006 when they started using and I think it's still kind of the most widely used test, the Cambridge Face Memory Test. Mm-hmm. And this is when they show you faces that it's just faces, there's no... Uh, there's no hair, there's no clothes or, or anything like that. So, no medallions. No medallions. <laughs> Disco Stew would be mm-hmm. a dead giveaway. So, just a face against a black background, only faces. And then on the next screen, it will show you the same face along with two other faces. And you're supposed to select the face that you just saw on the slide before. Right. The computer shouts, who's it,
0: right. at you every time. It's really jarring.
3: Uh, the One of the troubling parts about this test is that they only had white male faces on the test for a long time. Right. And I think just this year, they finally started featuring women's faces, mm-hmm. uh, still only white faces, which I don't know if that was purposeful. I didn't see – I looked. I didn't see anything about any ethnic group being more – apt to suffer from this. Did you? Uh,
0: no, I don't get it, especially with the, the new version debuted in 2022. And the problem with it is, it's not just because it's not inclusive. Um, it, It's a flaw in the test yeah, because there's something called the other race effect. It's very well documented. Yeah, we talked about it. If you were that. raised generally among, yeah, if you were raised generally among white people and you're a white person, you're going to have trouble differentiating people of other ethnic groups Um, It's just, and vice versa. If you're um, Asian, same thing. If you're black, same thing. Um, And if you were raised around a mixed group of ethnicities, um, you're actually gonna be really good at differentiating among those ethnicities. But the thing is, is most people aren't raised among a bunch of ethnicities. And so, um, if you show someone who is, say, black, a bunch of Caucasian faces, it might not be that they're face blind. It might right. just be that the other race effect is coming into into play and that they're being misdiagnosed, actually.
3: Yeah, super interesting. Um, yeah. We talked in the doppelganger episode, uh, which was very recently, about the fusiform gyrus, which is the part of the brain that they have kind of finally figured out is really where face recognition happens, kind of full stop. Uh, that's where all the action takes place. And I think they even have called it now the fusiform face area. Mm-hmm. And if you have any sort of damage to the fusiform gyrus, and again, this is the more rare kind is the acquired. Right. Uh, or if you have a tumor pressing against it or something like that, mm-hmm. then that's probably going to be the cause. Is it's damaged your fusiform gyrus.
0: Right. And they found that for congenital patients, it seems that their fusiform gyrus is thicker than uh, oh, someone who doesn't have prosopagnosia. And the theory that I read, there was a guy named um, Dr. Joe Degaitis, mm-hmm. who was uh, a Harvard neuroscientist, and he was on the uh, uh, American Psychology Associations or Psychological Associations, speaking of psychology podcast. And he was basically saying that the theory is that as, you get, as you're exposed to more and more faces, you're... Um, Your your fusiform gyrus just gets rid of, like, neural connections it doesn't need. It gets so, like, lean Mm -hmm. and mean and efficient that a thinner fusiform gyrus is going to be better at recognizing faces than a thicker one. Was that
3: doctor's name really – what was it? I think Joe Degutis. Oh, de Degutis? Okay. You said Degutis at first, and I was like, that would be really interesting if a doctor – had a last name with itis at the end of it. <laughs> right. Okay, Degutis or Gudis.
0: It's D-E-G-U-T-I-S. Okay. Let's just call him Joe from now on. Yeah, doc- Dr. Joe. Dr. Joe. Sounds like a chiropractor.
3: Uh, the interesting thing about these um, uh, experiments they've done with the fusiform gyrus, and that's what we talked about in the doppelganger app, was we now have an answer of whether or not we evolved, like, a very specific function to recognize a face because we have. Um You know, the the theories were out there about, like, did we recognize, like, uh, a prey hunting a predator to, like, recognize different predators? And Mm -hmm. now we have an answer to that, and that is yes.
0: Yeah, so they think that um, there was, like, a a really large debate going on, Chuck, where it's like, okay, do we actually have, like, a section of the brain that just does faces that seems unlikely? Instead, the opposite um, explanation was that – we have an object recognition system, the same thing as recognizing a rock or yeah. a car or a toaster, and that faces were just another object, but because they were so vital to our social life and survival that we were experts at recognizing faces, but really to our brain, they were just another object and the fusiform the 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 confirmation that the fusiform gyrus just does faces kind of throws that out the window because in the in the um the experiment that we talked about in the Doppelganger episode, this guy had his, his um, fusiform gyrus electrostimulated, uh-huh. and the, the, the researcher's face just morphed, but his tie didn't change. Right. none of the objects in the room, the chairs didn't change, so objects remain the same. Just his face changed. So yeah, it, it basically said, yes, we have a fusiform gyrus. It, it, uh, it functions for recognizing faces, and that is all it does. That's how important facial facial recognition is.
3: Well, and imagine in, you know, the earliest days of of different uh, tuk-tuks mulling around the savannah mm-hmm. is is fri- friend or enemy. You know, it became very important very quickly to recognize people that have done you wrong or done you right. Right.
0: Exactly. For sure. Um, and I think also that probably also um, supports the other race effect, too, where it's like you don't need to differentiate between somebody – like an outsider, an out group, you just need to know like they're part of the out group. Right. It's the people in your in-group that you need to have um, more um, specified social connections with. And yeah. we're just, we've we socially evolved enough that now we have a problem with this relic, this remnant from our evolutionary past that we still haven't physically evolved out of. We've just socially evolved past it and it's just problematic now.
3: I wonder if there's anything to a short stuff on uh, on having a face that's naturally uh, (laughs) what's the kindest way to say this average no naturally adverse looking what do you mean like scowly like you know like resting scowl face let's call it BRF I don't know what that is. I, I'll tell you later. Okay. No, but you know what I mean is is uh, some people have like a uh, their resting look is just not inviting. Let's just say, and I don't yeah. mean any not attractive or not at all. I mm-hmm. mean like literally like uh, that person isn't doesn't look like someone that would welcome me to come up and say hello. Right. They look yeah. angry and they're like, this is how I always look. I'm sorry.
0: I I, th- I think we should look into that for a short stuff because I'm sure it's there's touchy. research into it. Yeah. Yeah, because most of the time when you do talk to them or whatever, they they like light up. Their facial expression totally changes. So you hope that it's not just a charade that they're just fa- their faces, their normal resting faces just happens to look like that. That they're not mad all the time. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Let's get to the bottom of it.
3: Uh, as far as animals go, if you're wondering, kind of to put a cherry on top of this thing, uh, there has been research uh, that has shown that um, recognizing faces in macaques has been detected, (laughs) macaque monkeys. Uh So it's been around longer than we have and that they've found that other non-primates like, are good at this. Sheep, apparently, are really good. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if that transfers to goats. I know our across-the-street neighbor doesn't have goats any longer, which is very sad. But uh, I feel like those goats, or maybe they just recognized us as the people coming across from that house. Right. But we would always bring them uh, food scraps. And when we walk out the door, they would... Come run into the fence and braying and braying. So uh, we never did an experiment where we like came from around the corner or something. I'm curious if it was the same with goats with those creepy eyes. Yeah, I wonder too.
0: Or was it like your scent that they were picking up on? What was it, you know? Or was it faces?
3: It was probably just us coming out of the house with a bucket of food every (laughs) every other day. Yeah, That would be my guess. So prazo-pagnosia, huh? Good one.
0: I think so, too. Uh, If you have prosopagnosia, please write in and let us know what it's like. And if you didn't realize you had prosopagnosia until you listened to this episode, please also write in and let us know that. Uh, And in in the meantime, I think it's time for a listener mail.
3: That's right. Uh, I'm going to call this a gentle correction. Or not a correction, actually. Just a a question answered, which I always love. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hey, guys. Live in the high desert of California. Listen to the show. Whenever I'm in the car on my hour-long drive to the L.A. area, on today's show you mentioned, and this is the one on uh, fake towns, uh, you mentioned how the Boeing plant in Seattle had camouflaged their factory uh, with a fake town on the roof, and you were wrapping it up, and I think one of you said something about uh, wondering if the West Coast was ever bombed, and I think Chuck said, no, I don't think so. I was wrong. Uh, California was indeed shelled from offshore by a Japanese submarine, Mm-hmm. On February 23rd, 1942, just north of Galita, uh, Galita uh, a town called Elwood, uh, the submarine took aim at a Richfield oil storage facility and landed bet- between 12 and 25 rounds, destroying a pump house wow. and, a, and a derrick. Huh. Uh, and giving credit where credit is due, I first heard about this incident while watching an episode of Huelhauser's California Gold, a show on public television, Casey uh, E.T. out of L.A., I pasted a link if you're interested. Uh, It could be a good subject of its own, the day California got bombed. And that is from Craig Tim in Rosamond, California. Very nice.
0: Thanks a lot, Craig. That was indeed a gentle question answered, or a question gently answered.
3: Sure. I kind of got it wrong, too. (laughs)
0: <laughs> um, if you want to be like Craig and gently answer one of our questions or make a correction or just say hi does not matter we're always open to an email from you you can wrap it up spank it on the bottom and send it off to stuffpodcasts at iheartradio.com
1: Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio for more podcasts from Radio, visit the iHeartRadio app Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows
3: Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more
2: and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com.
1: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through.